three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 408. Welcome in. Uh, look, when it rains, it pours. I got a deep cut on my finger. And then we got my household. Uh, we got food poisoning. Not fun. So here we are. Uh, worth the wait. Six topics. We'll do Ask Zach as well. I have been trying to make shorter episodes with fewer topics. Like hopefully, you know, three topics on Monday, three topics on Tuesday. I'm bad at it. Like I keep trying and I keep failing. Uh, it would be faster to make three topics, get them out Monday. Here we are. I worked on the show all day Monday, all day Tuesday. Here we are. It's going to be Wednesday morning by the time you hear it. I apologize. It's just hard for me to like do a shorter episode on Monday and like leave stuff out. I'm like, but I want to watch the Browns game and I want to watch the Cardinals game and I want to watch it. And I just bounce around and I watch all the football. And then here we are. Finally, Wednesday, I'm recapping the entire week. Uh, so I'm working on it. Uh, but this is full coverage of NFL week nine. Um, I want to. So. I got two things that are not scripted in my notes I'm going to talk about, and uh, I think the first thing I want to talk about is something that if you do not listen to the entirety of what I say, you'll probably get angry and leave, and I, I want you to really listen to everything I say. That's important to me, and if you like the show, please do me the respect of listening to everything I'm about to say, because I'm going to say a very controversial name that some people, you know, half the audience is going to go, ah, screw him, and then half the audience is going to go, Oh, and interesting. So I just, I got a, a DM on Twitter, uh, which is where every great story starts. Um, somebody said, hey, there's a guy who recommended your show to Ben Shapiro. And I don't think you want a guy like Ben Shapiro listening to your podcast, so you should probably say something about it. And first of all, I, I hate when people put words in my mouth or decide things for me. And that's what kind of prompted all this. I love that challenge of, okay, let me make a statement here. Um, and here's what I want to say. Literally everyone is welcome to listen to Strong Opinion Sports. I do not care about your politics. I don't care. We're here to talk about sports. And uh, I agree with Ben Shapiro on basically nothing politically. But I would hope that him and I could sit down at a bar. I don't drink because that would be a weird setting. But hopefully we could talk about sports. Because that's, in my opinion, sports are a, a meeting place and common ground for literally everyone. And actually, I'm not going to lie. I did get tagged in that tweet and I, I kind of beamed with a sense of pride. I was like, that's awesome because I, I want my show to be welcome to everyone. And I, I want people to everyone from every background. to feel comfortable listening to my podcast. That's my goal. I don't care if you're far right, far left. If you don't care about politics, I don't care about politics. I care about sports. And if you love sports, you're welcome to listen to my podcast. <laughs> Everybody's welcome, dude. And here's the thing. Even if you disagree with somebody, have a conversation with them. The only way to change hearts and minds is to talk to them. So um, I threw out the controversial name, Ben Shapiro. Ah! That, that might be the first time I've ever actually said something like really strong. But like, is it really a strong opinion to say, I don't care what your background is. Do you love sports? And then we can talk. And I love sports. If you love sports, you're welcome. Uh, I wanted to throw that out there. I also, number two. I got this cut on my hand, and it's so minor. I mean, it's a deep cut. Don't get me wrong. But it's like I can still use my other four fingers on my left hand, and I'm writing like a gremlin, like I hold a pen now like this, and it kind of works, and I write down my notes. And this experience so dumb. I can't do dishes. Like I have to put a little plastic bag over my hand when I shower. It's so minor compared to like breaking your hand or breaking your foot. 
But I just, this little experience where they cut on my finger, like it's really deep. I mean, I probably should have got stitches. It was borderline. I haven't looked at it all day, so I hope it's fusing together now. Um, but this experience really made me have empathy for athletes who get hurt. You break your hand. Dude, I, I at least can use my left hand. People that have to have like the cast over the hand and can't use it, I feel horrible for you. And athletes especially, man. Like, I, It's so dumb. I feel depressed. I can't do dishes. And I'm like upset about it. I'm like, I can't do everything the way I want to do. And I can't imagine not being able to walk or not being able to use your hand. And I think in the sports world, uh, I was fortunate enough during my entire playing career. I never had a serious injury or I missed time. And, you know, I just, I was really good at avoiding hits and I, I, I would slide and get down or run out of bounds. And I almost never got touched really uh, in my quarterback career. And I, I just, I feel so bad for guys who break their hand or break their leg or tear their ACL and they, their whole life is changed. And not only can they not play their sport, the thing they love that their whole life revolves around, but even tiny little tasks that you do every day are now different and changed. And I think that like mental health is something that in the sports world, we're kind of awakening to, but man, I just, when people get injured, that's the one thing you got to really like care for them on is I know you're depressed. You can't walk, you can't play your sport, whatever it is. And you got to care for people when they get hurt because that's a, a different angle that a lot of people don't kind of recognize or pay attention to. I think that played a lot into Andrew Luck retiring. Andrew Luck, the former Colts quarterback, was just so tired of rehab. Imagine that process. You build up all this hope. You're like, this is the time. I'm going to make a comeback. I'm going to play. And you go through this whole rehab journey to get back, and then you get injured again. And you're like, oh, I just did this. I got to do it again now. So... um, when people get hurt, give them empathy. That's a really, really tough process. I, I'm like barely nicked on my hand, like in comparison to like a real football injury. And I'm miserable. I can't use my stupid index finger. I can't imagine breaking my hand. And uh, I just have tremendous empathy for athletes that get hurt. And I think a lot of people often don't pay enough attention to that part of the sports world. Okay, let me open my notes real quick. I want to make sure ask Zach questions are ready to go because we sprinkled, you know, I, we, I sprinkled ask Zach questions throughout this entire episode, and I've got a special episode tomorrow uh, with Marcus from that franchise guy. I'm also going to answer ask Zach questions during that episode. But let's start here with uh, NFL Week 9. On Sunday night football, the Titans beat the Rams 28-16, to and look, I didn't say it publicly, I didn't say it on my last episode, but I kind of expected this game to be a blowout. It was the Tennessee Titans without their star running back. First game without him. I'm like, what are we going to, what, what do we really expect from Tennessee here? Like, I figure they might survive the year, but if they're going to do it, they're not, not going to beat the Rams. It's going to take them a little bit of a while, time to figure out how to win without their star running back. And it was a blowout, but it went the other way I would have thought if it was a blowout. The Titans led 21 to 3 at halftime. Really, they won 28 to 9. Um, the Rams got a touchdown in garbage time with literally 24 seconds left, their only touchdown of the game. It took them, what, one minute and 36 seconds? Now, there you go. Math for you guys. 59 minutes and 36 seconds is how long it took for the Rams to finally get a touchdown in this game. Uh, the Titans' defensive line in this game dominated. They kept getting interior pressure on Matthew Stafford. Uh, and eventually had to change the entire game plan for the Rams. They had to move the pocket a bunch, run a bunch of bootlegs. And even that, still, Matthew Stafford had pressure in his face constantly. And uh, Matthew Stafford, the Rams quarterback, threw two really ugly interceptions. On interception number one, 
Uh, there was pressure up the middle from Jeffrey Simmons, who, by the way, had three sacks and had a dominating performance. And it was this this play was very, very similar to the Carson Wentz interception against Tennessee during week eight, where Matthew Stafford had pressure in his own end zone. He's getting sacked. He's getting taken to the ground. And as he does, he tries to throw the ball. Oh, and it got picked off. And it gave Tennessee first and goal. They got an easy touchdown after that. Now, what's heartbreaking about it is we found it afterward by talking to the rules analyst during the game. Apparently, would not have been a safety. The ball was across the goal line, not in the end zone. And so if he'd taken the sack, his forward progress was stopped before the ball was in the end zone. So it would have been a sack like on the two-inch yard line, not a safety. So Matthew Stafford, it's a hard, I mean, I get it. Like, you don't want to take a safety. You want to get rid of the ball. But if you get rid of the ball there... It's intentional grounding in the end zone, which isn't safety. So it's it's just a really hard thing there, and I uh, a bad interception for Matthew Stafford. Regardless, like I, you know, um, none of that play was good. Now on interception number two, Matthew Stafford got baited by Titan safety Kevin Byard, and man, this is a fantastic play. I think people, it's one of those plays that reminds you how good of athletes NFL players are. Where Kevin Byard jumps the route, he baits Matthew Stafford into throwing an out route, gets a pick six. And so he jumps the route. He fully extends, make a, makes a fingertip grab, then runs for a touchdown. And you're like, oh my gosh. Like imagine, like he could play wide receiver. And I think a lot of people don't understand defenders get all kinds of crap for not being able to catch the ball. But imagine catching the ball when you expect it. Your receiver, you're running a route. You know what route you're running. You know when to expect the ball. Defenders never really know when to expect the ball. Like, they're they're always reacting. It's way harder to catch when you're reacting, not expecting the ball. And, uh, you know, shout out to my defensive players out there. They always get crapped on for not being able to catch. But Kevin Byard, what a great pick six. I love to see it. And, uh, by the way, on back-to-back plays, the Rams quarterback, Matthew Stafford, got interception, uh, got picked off. That gave the Titans a 14-3 to lead, and uh, man, it was a, I don't know, it's, it's, the, it's only one game without Derrick Henry for Tennessee, but last week, I remember when everybody declared the year over for Tennessee, oh, the, the Titans season is ruined, and I was very careful to say, let's wait and see how things play out. We don't really know that one player, they, they're a whole, still a good football team, and uh I thought Tennessee showed on Sunday they can beat anybody. They're 7-2. and two. I believe they're at the top of the AFC right now, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, they are because the, Ra- uh, the Ravens are 6-2. and two. So, uh, by the way, look at Tennessee's schedule. There's a lot of winnable games ahead. They play Houston twice. They play the Saints. They play Miami. They play the 49ers, the Jaguars. I, I think Tennessee looks like a team that could go 14-3 and three or 13-4. and four. And remember... Remember, everybody declared their year over just a week ago. And I look at their schedule now, and I'm like, and I, and I was careful not to be one of those people. I said multiple times, let's see what happens. And we saw what happened against the Rams. That's a good football team. And, and interestingly enough, they won the game with defense. They did not win the game throwing the football. So uh, just a very interesting, great performance by the Tennessee Titans. Uh, I got two final notes from this game. Number one, on the opening kickoff, they had... I believe his name is Michael Buffer, the ring announcer. He said, uh, let's get ready to rumble. And I can't do it. Of course, I'm not a ring announcer. I can't do anywhere near the the level of him. Uh, But he said that rumble right as the ball is kicked off. And it's unclear whether that was an accident or on purpose. But I kind of looked at that as I loved it. And it's an opportunity where 
I would love to hear like rumble as the ball was being returned, like the beginning of the return. That'd be amazing. And uh, I, I, again, accident or not, I think the NFL might've gotten, you know, accidentally got onto something there. And that would be a fantastic way to start every big game, like Sunday night football, like Michael Buffer. I believe that's his name. The ring announcer. Amazing. I want that every single night on Sunday night football, maybe the Super Bowl, something like that. it's just a fantastic way to start a football game. It's kind of like, oh my goodness. It just really, bam, let's go. And um, the second thing I want to talk about is a gutsy touchdown by the Tennessee Titans. It was fourth and goal, two minutes and 15 seconds left before halftime, ball on the one yard line. Tennessee was up 14 to three. Like there's not a lot of risk of, um, you know, losing or anything, but it's, it's a, it's an interesting moment because they decided here's the risk they took. It was a bootleg that Ryan Tannehill ran for a touchdown. You fake the run, you roll out right, basically. And it really reminded me of Peyton Manning's touchdown that he ran for in Denver. Because Peyton Manning never ran for a touchdown. And the one time he did, he faked the run, reverse pivoted, ran for a touchdown to the left side of the end zone. Uh, Ryan Tannehill was rolling right this time. But here's why it was a risk. There was no option for Ryan Tannehill to throw to. It's all or nothing. You're handing off, you're, you're faking the handoff, rolling out right, and... He had to run. Like, there's no other option other than Ryan Tannehill has to run for the touchdown. And I love that. I wasn't sure what to call it. I never ran. Uh, it's called a naked bootleg. I had to text uh, Coach Dan Casey, like, hey, what's that called again? And he's like, he reminded me, oh, yeah, it's a naked bootleg because you're unprotected, yada, yada. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I never ran that. So I, I, I just shout out to Tennessee, man. That was a really a gutsy call to give Ryan Tannehill no other option. You're committed to the run. And the whole defense bit down. He ran for an easy touchdown. Really, really cool play call there on Sunday Night Football by Tennessee. Now, let's talk about Monday Night Football. On Monday Night Football, the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Chicago Bears 29-14. to And look, I hated this game. The Monday Night Football broadcasters are awful. It was a boring first half. Uh, the refs were terrible. Uh, and then even Justin Fields had the game-winning touchdown drive and still lost the game. I was like, ah, just like the the quadruple takeout. It was just not a fun game. That's not the right way to put it. Something like that. Um, honestly, I, I will say I'm glad Pittsburgh won the game, though. And that's despite, you know, lamenting that the Bears didn't win. Because I love Justin Fields. I want to see him have a good career. And him having a game-winning drive there would have been awesome. But it kind of ended in an even better way where Justin Fields gets the respect for the final drive. But I'm, I'm glad Pittsburgh won because Chicago's not going anywhere this year. And Pittsburgh winning made the AFC North really, really interesting, where you got the Ravens at 6-2, and two, the Steelers at 5-3, and three, the Browns and Bengals both at 5-4. and four. And so I, I'm glad that Pittsburgh remained in the mix with five wins because them going, um, you know, 4-4 four and four would not be as interesting for the AFC North. And again, Chicago's not going anywhere, so I was glad Pittsburgh actually won the game. Uh, now, I want to say first, before we get into the refs, because I have a lot to say there, uh, give Justin Fields, the Bears rookie quarterback, time to develop. I thought he got better and better as the game went on, got more comfortable, and he'll be all right. Give Justin Fields time to keep developing. He had a really sweet touchdown in the fourth quarter where you put the Bears up 27-26. You know, what I call the, quote, game-winning touchdown. I can't do the... I got a, an injured finger. I can't do the quotes with my, my index finger. No one cares. Uh, <laughs> Justin Fields extended the play. He's rolling left. He flips his hips, throws a touchdown in the left corner uh, left corner of the end zone. And 
Matt Nagy might get fired. I, I, for example, I, I have no idea why Matt Nagy keeps running the Wildcat on offense when he's got Justin Fields, a quarterback who can run incredibly well. Like, why do you need to run the Wildcat when you have Justin Fields who can run? It makes no sense to me. I'm like, what, what are you doing there? I don't get that. But even if Matt Nagy does get fired, I have a lot of confidence in the rookie quarterback, Justin Fields. He's going to be all right. And uh, I, I believe in him long term. He gets better and better every time I watch him. And I thought he progressed even throughout the Pittsburgh Steelers game. So I got a lot of faith and a lot of confidence in Justin Fields. And uh, man, did you anyone here? I, I mentioned that the Monday Night Football broadcasters are awful. And look, I am the last person to criticize people making mistakes. I say dumb stuff all the time. But it is kind of fun to, you know, point out anyone here when, gosh, what's the name of the broadcast? I don't even like any of the broadcasters. Forget their name. I know Brian Greasy, I think, Bob Greasy, uh, Lewis Riddick. And then there's the guy, the the play-by-play guy. Forget his name. Uh, he does hockey. I, I don't remember. He did Sports Center like a long time ago. He's got the bulging uh, disc moment. Look that up. It's really fun. Bulging disc, quote unquote. Um, he called Justin Fields Young Josh. And I'm like, oh, that's rough. And I, you saw Lewis Riddick's face, like, want to correct him, but then say nothing. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know why. Why can't we just say, hey, you screwed up? Like, why Why can't his other people, like, the other people doing the broadcast with him did notice that for sure. And they kept their mouths shut. Hey, if I, if, look, if I ever had another person doing this, like, I'd love to have a producer who, um, listens to the show, who maybe could edit for me. That'd be amazing. We're not there yet. Someday, maybe. Uh, but someone who like listens to me doing the show kind of does it along with me back and forth. Like Pat McAfee has the stooges, which I, they're great. I love them. Um, and I, I'd love to have someone who's like, you mean, no, you don't mean young Josh. You mean Justin Fields. Like you, you want people to correct you. And I couldn't believe that Lewis Riddick and Bob or Brian Greasy, whatever his name is, didn't correct him. I'm like, Hey, throw the guy a lifeline, help him out. He got the wrong name and you heard him. I saw it on your face. You heard him get that wrong and you said nothing. It's like if I'm ever at a restaurant and I got a bunch of food in my beard, you better help me out and say something so I can clean it off. And it just was like, man, disappointing moment. Uh, the first half was not very fun to watch in this game. Now, the Bears did make things interesting in the fourth quarter. The Bears went from down 20 to 6 to up 27 to 26 and then lost 27 to 29. Game had a fun finish. Now, um, this was... This game was one of the worst officiated games I've ever seen in my life. And I don't say that lightly. Um, I lived for a couple of years with my, my best friend's dad was a ref. And I, I lived with them. And I, I totally know the struggle of being a ref. And I respect them. It's way harder than people realize. There's little things you never notice. And, um, man, there were so many in this game, though. So despite the fact that I usually I, – I hate criticizing refs. And I think if you lose a game – and a ref decides it. Usually I will say, well, you should have made more plays and not left the game open where a ref could have decided the game. However, this game was awful. I mean, there were ridiculous ticky-tacky penalties called. Uh, there were some obvious penalties that were not called. I'm like, how you're calling that, but not that? Like, Justin Fields got nailed late multiple times. And you're like, ah, why are we not protecting the rookie quarterback, Justin Fields? That seems a little bit weird. And look, I'm not a Bears fan. I'm not a Steelers fan. I got no dog in the fight. In fact, I, did, I, I told you why I was glad Pittsburgh actually won the game. But it was insane, the, the, the way the calls were going against Chicago. And some of them were justified, uh, like, you know, a couple offsides penalties at the end of the game. Robert Quinn was offsides. Totally. I agree. 
But what about the Bears touchdown pass to Jimmy Graham that got called back? That was a terrible, like a low block. What are you talking about? What? Or the insane taunting penalty on Cassius Marsh where the dude did nothing. It's bizarre. And it felt like a small town high school game where the refs are all from the town of the home team. Like like on Friday Night Lights or something where you're like, are all these refs from Pittsburgh or something? Like, what's happening here? Do they have money on the game? Like, why Why do they feel a need to so desperately come after Chicago over and over and over again? And they were not calling things fairly. Calls were not going both ways. Um, like, I, I just felt bad for the Bears coach, Matt Nagy, because he can't even say anything after the game. Like, he, he's got to keep his mouth shut or he gets fined. So wrong. And, like, or Cassius Marsh, who just got elevated from the practice squad, like, he got a sack, and they're like, nah, take it back, penalized for taunting, which he said nothing. Again, like, he's just looking at the top. I, I don't know. I can't, you, apparently, you can't even look at the other sideline, or that's a taunting penalty now. It's ruining the game. Refs are inserted into way many football ga- way too many football games, and this Bears-Pittsburgh game was the epitome of what's wrong with refereeing right now, with officiating the NFL, and... Again, some of the penalties made sense. Robert Quinn was offsides in the final drive, whatever. Um, and, and I didn't really appreciate Mike Tomlin being like, oh, I support the penalties being called. It's like, well, uh, two things. First of all, you won. So, of course, you're going to say you like the penalties being called. Number two, I have a theory, and I've shared it before, but I've told you before. Here is why I believe the NFL has been so hard on taunting penalties is they saw what happened with Mason Rudolph, the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback. And Miles Garrett, a couple years ago, there was, um, he said, she said, one guy said that a racial slur was mentioned. One guy said it was not. And the NFL said, we don't want that drama. We never want an argument. We don't want any controversy about that kind of stuff. So basically they're like, don't talk to each other. You have to be a robot. You can't celebrate. You can't say anything. You can't taunt to each other. Nothing. You can't say anything after you make a big play. It's gone to, I, I get the, I think the spirit of the rule makes sense. The NFL is trying to protect themselves getting in trouble, having a guy say the wrong words and getting in big trouble. I, I, I understand that, but it has gone way too far. It's horrible. It's so bad. Whoa. How is looking at the sideline a penalty now? What? And then did anyone see the ref like kind of basically like butt bounce him? Like he like, he like turned into Cassius Marsh to make him run into like, wh- did you, s- I saw that. And I'm like, what's happening? This is insanity. So um, the Pittsburgh Steelers-Bears Monday night football game was one of the worst officiated games I've ever seen in the NFL. And look, I don't think it's wrong to be like, did the refs have game like money on the game? Was the mafia like threatening them? Like what happened? Because it was so one-sided, more one-sided than I've ever seen. I just, and I'm, I, I'm like, did they want, they, they clearly, I thought, wanted Pittsburgh to win. I just like, uh, and I don't know that I fully believe that because I, I hate to believe that, but I, it would be wrong. Like no one's going to say that. Everyone's afraid like to call it the NFL. I got, look, I'm self-employed. I don't give a, I don't give a rat's behind. I can say whatever I want. And I, I, I looked at that referee, you know, the officiating and I'm like, this is horrible. This is like so bad. And I've never seen it that bad and, and not in a long, long time. So, uh, uh what a, a horrible, horribly officiated game. Bears, Steelers, Monday Night Football. Okay, uh, let's talk about Jordan Love. On Sunday, on Sunday, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Packers 13-7. to 
Now, before we talk about Jordan Love, uh, I'll say this about Patrick Mahomes, and Packers fans might appreciate this. I want to talk about Brett Favre because, and it goes as, as far back as Andy Reid, the Kansas City head coach, once coached Brett Favre in Green Bay. Uh, here's what's wrong with Patrick Mahomes right now. He's just not taking what the defense gives him. Like, they're, they're giving him stuff underneath, and he's forcing it vertically downfield. Uh, High-risk, high-reward kind of playing style. He's modern-day Brett Favre. That, that is what Patrick Mahomes is now. I've said my piece. Let's move on to Jordan Love. Um, the Packers' second-year quarterback, Jordan Love, made his first-ever NFL start on Sunday. He was 19 for 34 with 190 yards passing. Well, one touchdown, one interception. And I haven't seen what other podcasts and YouTube people are saying about uh, Jordan Love, but I, I will talk about Marcus, uh, the franchise guy, tomorrow about this on the podcast. Now, uh, I have seen comments on my own YouTube channel about this, and I think people have been way too hard on the guy. Like, he wasn't great, absolutely. And I understand disappointment that, oh, I wish Jordan Love had torn it up. Like, remember when Matt Flynn came off the bench behind Aaron Rodgers on like six touchdowns and got a big contract to Seattle? Like, I understand you wanting that kind of game from Jordan Love. We didn't get to see that. Uh, but I've seen comments like he has no idea how to play quarterback. I'm like, what? And YouTube commenters are notoriously uh, like either angry or like love you. There's no in-between at all. Um, but one thing was painfully clear watching this game is that Jordan Love and Devontae Adams have not built much chemistry yet. And uh, like Devontae Adams was targeted 14 times and only caught six passes on Sunday. And there were multiple miscommunications along the sidelines where he, you know, down the, on fades where he'd throw it deep and Devontae Adams would be looking back shoulder and then he would throw it back shoulder and Devontae Adams is going vertical. And you're like, they're just not clearly on the same page at all. Like Jordan Love tried to throw him a back shoulder fade Aaron Rodgers style and Devontae Adams was not expecting the ball. I'm like, wow, it's just, it's not really anyone's fault. It's that they haven't taken a lot of reps together very clearly. They could not get on the same page. And the reality is that, again, they haven't worked very much together and not much since training camp. Uh, and now Devontae Adams did not practice until Friday, which is probably, uh, I would imagine, because like most other NFL teams, that's not really a padded day. That's a day of walkthrough and rest to prepare for Sunday. So like Jordan Love just didn't get very many reps to practice with the best receiver the Packers have, Devontae Adams. And uh, also the game was in Kansas City in Seattle and KC are basically the two worst places you can ever have your first game in the NFL because it's so loud. And the noise as a quarterback affects you when you're trying to settle down and communicate. And uh, I, I really thought Jordan Love did fine. Fine. Not good. Certainly not great. But fine. Like, good enough, whatever. I, I thought he got better as the game went on. He put together two good drives in the second half. Uh, he got picked off on one throwing to Devontae Adams, who I, I said multiple times didn't have great chemistry with him. And on drive number two, they scored a touchdown. So I'm like, well, I thought Jordan Love got better and better as the game went on. And uh, I think the film from this game is going to really help him. Now, there was one bad play in this game where it was man coverage. Kansas City was blitzing. And Green Bay ran a, a slant fade rub concept where uh, number two, the slot receiver runs a, uh, you know, they widen and run a fade. And number one, the outside receiver runs a slant hard. and They kind of run a pick for each other. And the slant was wide open. Jordan Love didn't throw to the slant. He threw vertically uh, to the fade route. And, ow, it's just hit my elbow. It's such a basic read that I, I think Jordan Love must have predetermined that. Because, I like, you run that in eighth grade football, that that concept. Probably not with a rub as clearly, but everyone runs the slant fade concept a lot. And it's like, well, um, 
I, I mean, it's his first ever start. I don't know. I think he predetermined it. And I just want to encourage everyone, especially Green Bay Packers fans, like Aaron Rodgers would say, R-E-L-A-X, relax. It's fine. It's okay. I mean, I really think that you're, like, also, his footwork looks exactly like Aaron Rodgers, by the way. He's clearly taken as much as he can and tried to copy Aaron's technique. But Aaron, like, Aaron's so far ahead of Jordan Love. How can you, like, it's a hard act to follow. I let Jordan Love figure the NFL out. Give him time. And honestly, I've always felt bad for Jordan Love for this because Aaron Rodgers is such a tough act to follow. Like in stand-up comedy, uh, you know, you you if a guy's killing it on stage, you don't want to be the next guy up if you're still kind of figuring out your material. Jordan Love is still figuring out his material. And Aaron Rodgers had to follow Brett Favre. I would rather be the quarterback after Brett Favre than after Aaron Rodgers because Brett Favre left some stuff on the table. He made some bonehead errors and was high risk, high reward, you know, kind of like you see with Patrick Mahomes. And when you see a guy making boneheaded throws, like Aaron Rodgers probably did for a couple of years in Green Bay, you're like, I could have done that. I could have checked that down. I could have taken the slant there. I could have taken the hitch there. And Aaron Rodgers plays the quarterback position. Like, say what you want about him off the field. He, he's nearly perfect with how he reads defenses and the throws he can make. He's the best thrower of the football we have ever, ever seen. And that's, that's hard to do, man. It's hard to follow Aaron Rodgers. And uh, I, I thought Jordan Love got better in the fourth quarter than he was at the beginning of the game. And I just give him time, be patient, let Jordan Love develop. And uh, I just, I, I'm begging for that because I think a lot of people are, he's awful. He One start, he's terrible. Don't discard and throw the guy away because he had one bad start. He's also way cheaper than Aaron Rodgers. And uh I think there are, I, I just, I don't know. I'm not ready to like give up on Jordan Love because he had one, you know, kind of middling average, not great start. He looked like a backup. He looked like a backup who's not really ever played in the NFL before. Oh, wait, <laughs> that's what he is. And by the way, if he like, let's say, for example, that Aaron Rodgers leaves in the offseason, goes to Denver or retires or something like that. Well, then you know that Jordan Love's going to have better chemistry with everybody around him because he's going to get way more first-team reps. He's going to have the entire training camp, the entire um, preseason to build chemistry with the guys around him, build his own confidence. I thought the first half, it was like, I didn't look very confident. Who's dealing with the noise, had some intercept, you know, had some, not intercept, had some incompletions and was feeling unconfident. And he, he leaned into it, relaxed, and got better as time went on, and... I just cannot understand anyone who's ready to give up on Jordan Love after one mediocre to bad start in Kansas City. You're disappointed, fine, but give the guy time to develop. Okay, uh, I want to share some recent news about the Raiders. They have lost a lot recently. First of all, they lost to the Giants on Sunday. The Raiders are now 5-3. and three. Now, I talked last week about Henry Ruggs, uh, the Raiders receiver who got into a fatal DUI crash. Uh, so I'm not going to get more into that here. If you want to hear my thoughts on Henry Ruggs, go listen to that from last week. Uh, but after that happened, then Raiders corner Damon Arnett posted a video of himself holding a a weapon, because I don't want to get demonetized, holding a weapon, and he was threatening somebody with said weapon. So both Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett have been released from uh, the Raiders football team. They were both first-round picks in 2020. Uh, they made bad decisions, and bam, they're gone. You're out of the, I mean, that's how quickly you can lose your entire life. You make a bad decision, it's over. You're gone. 
And uh, both 2020 first round picks have been cut by the Raiders. So now uh, the Raiders did sign receiver Deshaun Jackson. I would imagine they can use his speed and will use his speed the same way they used Henry Ruggs to stretch the field vertically. Uh, but Deshaun Jackson is 34, 35 years old on December 1st. Like Deshaun Jackson is a short-term solution to a problem the Raiders are going to have at receiver. They need a big playmaking receiver. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe Deshaun Jackson could do that for the rest of this year, but you're going to have to draft another guy. And uh, we'll talk about, we have a question on Patreon, I mean, from Patreon about that in a moment, but it's just crazy. Remember when the Raiders were 3-0? and They were 3-0, and they were on top of the world, and then, oh, John Gruden, Henry Ruggs, Damon Arnett, like, I mean, the Raiders from here on out have to be careful that they make sure they're drafting guys who are, and I think the term is choir boys, like, you know, guys who are straight-laced and, and are not going to uh, struggle with the temptations of Sin City and, you know, Vegas. And if they love to party, don't send them to Miami. Don't send them to the Raiders. I mean, that's kind of, uh, that's really what's got to happen now. Like Najee Harris, the running back in Pittsburgh, would be a perfect fit in Las Vegas because he loves football, loves to work. He's not he's not going to do anything stupid. And unfortunately, uh, Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett have done some stupid stuff, and their uh, careers it might be over. Pro- probably, I would be shocked if both of them make a made a comeback. So um, now, Ultimate A wrote in with a question on Patreon. Ultimate A said this: Hi Zach, the Raiders released Damon Arnett today, which means the only other high quality pick. The, the, that the Raiders got from the Bears for Khalil Mack in the trade is running back Josh Jacobs. Obviously, Gruden made this trade and isn't here anymore. But I can't help but feel like the Khalil Mack trade is a lot like some of the trades that occurred under the Bill O'Brien's ten, late Bill O'Brien's tenure uh, as a Texans head coach, notably with DeAndre Hopkins and Laramie Tunsil. Looking at these trades and considering you did a, quote, redraft of the Giants, would you say there was a combination of draft picks by the Raiders that they could have made up uh, for losing Kalimak. What players could they have picked with those picks instead of who they actually picked? Use the power of Zach from the future. So I want to talk about um, three picks the Raiders have made that did not work out. In 2019, they drafted Ray, uh, defensive end out of Clemson, Cleveland Farrell, number four overall. And oh boy, uh, they overdrafted him. and <laughs> He did not pan out. Uh, at all. And he's not from the Bears trade, but it was a big miss. And, and by the way, here's the problem with, quote, redrafting the Giants is that 2019 was not a great draft for defensive ends. Like you had Nick Bosa, number two overall, and then a lot of nothing burgers after that. And 2020 was also a bad year for corners. So like they just kind of picked positions that weren't great in those those years. And they, they drafted need, but they didn't work out. Like in 2019, uh, first of all, they could have taken outside linebacker, Josh Allen, who is a stud now for the Jaguars, had a pick, had an interception, had a fumble recovery on Sunday. So that might have given them an edge defender they would have needed. So by drafting Josh Allen, number four overall, rather than Cleveland Farrell. In 2020, they drafted wide receiver Henry Ruggs, number 12 overall. And if I could time travel, as I and every other NFL team could, you, you would draft Justin Jefferson, the receiver out of LSU instead. It's crazy. Justin Jefferson went 22 overall to the Minnesota Vikings. And like Jalen Rager, the Eagles receiver was drafted one pick before him. You're like, what? It doesn't make any sense. Like somehow Justin Jefferson was the fifth receiver taken in 2020 after Henry Ruggs, after CeeDee Lamb, after Jalen Rager. Like, wow, wow. 
what a ridiculous thought. And uh, so the Raiders also drafted uh, corner Damon Arnett, number 19 overall. So you draft uh, in, in that in the 2020 draft. So you would take Justin Jefferson if you could. Now, you need a corner if you're Vegas, and you, you drafted Damon Arnett. Who else could you have drafted? Because the six corners that were taken, and six, by the way, that's a lot. Six corners were drafted in 2020 in the first round. Pretty much all of them have failed. Uh, Jeff Okuda has been bad and injured, and C.J. Henderson was traded. A.J. Terrell, uh, Damon Arnett is gone. Jeff Gladney got cut after he got in trouble. Noah Igbenogany is a third round, and not like he's like really fifth or sixth because a lot more guys than two people would have to get injured to get Noah Igbenogany on the field. Um, A.J. Terrell, the Falcons corner, is the only guy left standing on the team who drafted him. That's crazy. That's unbelievable. Like, wow. Uh, so if I could go back in time, like we always joke about, like I did that exercise. I did redrafting the Giants where I pretended I could time travel. What would I do if I could be Marty McFly for a day? I don't know what I would do if I could be Marty McFly for a day with Vegas in 2020 because like there there wasn't a great corner. Like there were, I mean, maybe you draft Trevon Diggs, who's killing it with the Cowboys. He gets a lot of interceptions. He also gets beat deep all the time. Like you watch the the Cowboys uh, Patriots game. Yeah. Like, you know, Trevon Diggs had a crazy good pick six. And then the very next play on offense for the Patriots, he got burned deep for a touchdown. And you're like, well, like Trevon Diggs, you can't really measure his ability to cover receivers based on his interceptions. He's got good ball skills. He's a former receiver, but uh, gets beat all the time. So the reality is the Raiders 2020 draft was a failure. Uh, drafting Cleveland Farrell number four overall in 2019 was an abject failure. Passing on Justin Jefferson two times in the same draft, that's pretty rough. You had the number 12 pick and the number 19 pick. He went number 22 overall. He's like one of the only players from 2020 that's become a pro bowler uh, in that draft. And you know, Josh Allen, I believe, in uh, 2019. So there's someone else in that draft who was drafted earlier than that. Uh, I guess, was it Nick Bosa? Yeah, probably Nick. No, Nick Bosa's 2019. Somebody, somebody in that draft earlier was became an all-pro. I'm, I'm blanking on their name right now. Um, but redrafting the Raiders is tough because they need a corner. And I don't know who they could have taken. Like, I don't know who's available. Maybe you draft Cesar Ruiz, the Saints right guard, because you can always use another offensive lineman. Uh, maybe Trevon Diggs again from the Cowboys, who gets beat all the time, but at least you'd have turnovers. I don't know. But it's, it's not, like, unlike the Giants, redrafting the Giants was easy because there's, like, very clear obvious better picks you could have made redrafting the Raiders. There's like, uh, it's just not great. Like they, 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 they drafted positions that weren't widely uh, available or successful from those draft classes. Okay. Let's dive into NFL week nine. I already talked about the Titans beating the Rams on Sunday night football. I talked about the bears Steelers on Monday night football. Talked about Jordan love. I talked about the Raiders. But still, there are five more things I find noteworthy from NFL Week 9. Number one is this. The Patriots beat the Panthers 24-6. to six. It was brutal. And Panthers quarterback Sam Darnold was 16 for 33, which is less than 50%, by the way, with 172 yards and three interceptions. It was not a good performance by Sam Darnold. It's brutal. I mean, I would imagine Sam Darnold hates playing the Patriots and Bill Belichick. At this point, he played for the Jets for years, played them twice a year. Now he played them again this year. He's like, can I please escape from Bill Belichick? I hate playing the coach. And uh, I got to say, I have lost all faith in 
Carolina Panthers, young quarterback Sam Darnold. I went into the year very excited. They started 3-0. Now Carolina's 4-5. and They're last in the AFC South. And Sam Darnold, he's not working. Like, I'd love him to. I want him to. It's not working. And that's unfortunate, but it's true. Now, the Patriots are starting to look like the Patriots of old. They are boring to watch. No offense, but they are. And, I mean, they're really technical. They do all the little things right. And they're becoming dominant. I mean, I'm watching the Patriots develop in front of our eyes. They got a bunch of new guys and new quarterback, and they are coming together as a football team. And if you ask me, the Patriots are a playoff team. And because it's Bill Belichick and they're really good, I mean, I wouldn't put it past them to make a Super Bowl run because that's just what they do. And they had one down year, and now uh, they're suddenly back into the AFC East playoff conversation. And... Not to mention the wild card. The AFC is a mess right now. And so, man, you got to give respect to New England. What they're doing is fantastic. They've really rebuilt their football team. And the young quarterback, Mac Jones, plays so well. He's just getting better and better and better the more we watch him. Now, uh, Stephon Gilmore, cool story here, playing against his former team. He got traded from New England to Carolina. He got a pick against his former team. Didn't I mean, they lost horribly, but it's still kind of cool to see that guy have success against his former team. You love to see that. Good for Stephon Gilmore. Now, number two, the Browns beat the Cincinnati Bengals 41-16. to What? I was expecting a good game. I was expecting a great performance. The Battle of Ohio, Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, and wow, wow, wow. It wasn't what I hoped. Uh, it doesn't totally make sense to me, but it does appear true that Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield is better without receiver Odell Beckham Jr. They released him, and like— Again, I don't I don't get it because like if it's Madden, you're like, well, he's a great receiver. Better, you know, and a quarterback, it's by the way, it's not Madden, it's real life. But a quarterback, you're like, you have a great receiver who's really talented. You would think that makes you better. But maybe OBJ's got a bad attitude or something. Like, there's some reason why Baker just appears to be a better quarterback without playing with Odell Beckham Jr. And maybe it's the pressure of getting the ball. Like, I don't know what it is, but Baker does appear to be better. He was 14 for 21 passing. 218 yards, had two touchdowns, had a beautiful long touchdown, uh, 60 yards to Donovan Peoples-Jones. I love to see it. Browns running back Nick Chubb had 14 carries for 137 yards and two touchdowns. The Bengals have three turnovers. Uh, now, by the way, the Browns and the Bengals are now both 5-4. and four. They are tied at the bottom of the AFC North. In fact, I think the Browns are technically ahead of Cincinnati because of the head-to-head victory. So how crazy is that remember when Cincinnati was five and three had a great start or what were they five and two like they were five yeah they were five and two a couple weeks ago and they're falling and falling and falling and I did not see that coming and I mean it's I will say here's something crazy and no one talks about this I've never talked about this before I love Joe Burrow I love the confidence I love the swagger um he he's a, he he he's on the borderline of cocky like the stuff he says sometimes he said like like he was talking about the Super Bowl a couple weeks ago and it's interesting to contrast Lamar Jackson and Jill Burrow. Like, I have no doubt because of the way our country is built. Like, if Lamar Jackson said some of the stuff that Jill Burrow does with this, I, I call it confidence. It's really kind of, it's cocky is what it is. I love it, but it is cocky. Can you imagine how much Lamar Jackson would get blasted in the media if he said the stuff that Jill Burrow does? Like, I, I just, like, smoking the cigar and... The, like, look up some of the quotes Joe Burrow's given. I, I love I think they're fun. I really do love them. But also, if Lamar Jackson said that stuff, unfortunately, 
he would get railroaded because that's how our society works. And it's just interesting to see uh, Joe Burrow get praised for stuff that I, I think that, uh, unfortunately, I, I wouldn't criticize Lamar Jackson for that stuff. I, I'd be like, that's awesome. Like, hell yeah. I love when he goes, not bad for a running back. I, I think Lamar Jackson's hilarious. But um, it's just an interesting point that I, I wonder if, uh, could Lamar get away with being as audacious as Joe Burrow is? And is it just, like, it's clearly, I think there might be a double standard there that not a lot of people talk about in the sports world. Now, number three, the Jaguars beat Buffalo 9-6. to six. What the heck happened? It's a shocking win. And I, I probably, I haven't, I, I watched a little bit of the game. I can tell you what happened, but I haven't watched the full game. So I, maybe that's a game I should watch before next episode. So maybe, here's what we'll do. I'll watch it. And I'll give you a report on Thursday, what like, like a deep dive into what happened. But uh, I, I do wonder if the Bills kind of just overlooked this game because it's a good reminder that anyone can beat anyone. And, I mean, I, what I did see is the Jaguars shut down the Bills' offense, which is unthinkable. Josh Allen, their quarterback, had two interceptions. And, I mean, the Bills had—what I, I saw, they had lots of chances. I watched the second half of that game. Chance after chance after chance uh, late, and they couldn't score. And you're like— I, I just like, I, I mean, I remember because I, I don't, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I flipped through it and I'm like, they got the ball again. They got the ball again. They got the ball again. And they interception, fumble, turnover and downs, punt. Like they couldn't score. Great for Jacksonville. And fun storyline here was the battle of Josh Allen's uh, and Jags linebacker, Josh Allen sacked Bill's quarterback, Josh Allen. He also recovered a fumble from him. He also picked him off at an interception. Kind of funny, you know, by the way, Josh Allen and Josh Allen are both the number seven overall pick in back-to-back years. 2018 and 2019 was when the linebacker Josh Allen was drafted. And I don't really know how to, like, how does Josh Allen, the quarterback, win that matchup? Because statistically, like, Josh Allen, the linebacker, can sack him, can intercept him, can get a fumble recovery. But what can Josh Allen, the quarterback, do to beat Josh Allen, the linebacker? Like, run him over or... I guess, win the game. Like, there's not a lot of stuff that Josh Allen, the quarterback, could have done to win that matchup. But the linebacker clearly won the game, had a bunch of plays. Like, linebacker Josh Allen won this matchup. That's pretty cool and kind of crazy. Um, and the Bills are now 5-3. and three. The Patriots are 5-4. and four. So, Patriots, Bills, both have five wins in the AFC East right now. And suddenly like that, the Patriots are not only in contention for a wild card spot, they are in contention for maybe even winning the AFC East, which would be like, the Patriots are back. What? All right. Now, I think I downplayed a little bit how much I watched this game. I I mean, look, I watched a lot of the second half. I flipped through it. I didn't watch a lot of the Jaguars' possessions. I don't care. I got limited time. But I do think it would be really fun to, like, watch the entire— I I sat down to watch the entire Kansas City Packers game, watch the entire Titans— uh, Rams game, the entire Bears and Steelers game. Uh, maybe I should sit down and watch the entire game start to finish of Jaguars-Bills because there's got to be a story that, like, what did happen? I should break down what happened, how Buffalo lost this game. Uh, my guess is it's just they made a lot of bad plays. I mean, that's usually what happens, but maybe keep your eye out for that later this week. I might just watch it and do an entire breakdown. Now, number four, the Broncos beat the Dallas Cowboys 30-16. to uh, Denver dominated. They were up 30 to nothing with six minutes left in this football game. And the way Denver won is how I kind of hoped they would play all year. Like I had low expectations for Denver, but I said like a lot of times before the year started, like if things go well, they got a great roster of Teddy Bridgewater can play well. 
they have potential to maybe win a Super Bowl if the roster can meet its potential. They have not at all so far this year. And so the question here is, was it a fluke? Was this win beating Dallas dominantly? Is that a fluke or is this the beginning of a good run? So the rest of the year, Denver plays the LA Chargers twice. They play Kansas City twice. They play the Eagles, the Lions, Cincinnati, and the Vegas Raiders. Let's see what happens. I have my eyes open. I want to see something interesting happen. Now, Alex wrote in on Patreon. He said, hey, Zach, as a Broncos fan this week, has con- as, as a Broncos fan, and then a comma, this week has confused me. The first three weeks, I felt great, though I did recognize those were easy wins. Then we lost four straight, and now we've beat the football team and Cowboys. I'm just wondering, given all factors, do you think the Broncos stand a shot or chance of, at the playoffs? Uh, they have a chance. The AFC is a mess, so like where they are now, they're five and four. Potentially, they could get in. Or what are they, four and three wins? Oh, no, they're five, yeah, they're five and four. I'm not crazy. They, they lost four games in a row, then they won two straight now. They beat Washington and now Dallas. And Denver has my attention. They just ran for 190 yards on Dallas. That's interesting to me. Uh, so well, I, they have a shot. I, I think any team right now in the AFC has a shot, given how crazy things are. But um, And they have a, some winnable games on their schedule. I don't have confidence they can win winnable games because I don't respect a lot of what Denver's done so far this year. But I am watching. Like, they have my attention, and we'll see what Denver can do from here on out. Now, Oliver wrote in. Oliver said, do you know what happened to the Cowboys? It was probably just a blip and won't affect their year long term, but it does make me question their defense. Remember, you can write in with uh, questions on Patreon as well. Yeah, this loss was probably a blip or a speed bump, whatever you want to call it, in the Cowboys' year. Like, every team has a bad loss. Like, the, the Bills just got embarrassed by the Jaguars, so... Any given Sunday. Now, this game kind of reminds me of another Broncos team. Uh, the Boise State Broncos beat Fresno State on Saturday. And it's one of those games where, like, little mistakes add up. And a missed throw, a drop pass, a missed assignment. It all adds up. And the Cowboys had a bunch of little mistakes that all added up to a, a big loss on Sunday. Now, I have some concerns about the Cowboys' defense as well. That's why I list the Cowboys as a Super Bowl contender but not a Super Bowl favorite. They do not have as complete a team as others across the NFL. But uh, Dallas, like, I, I wouldn't read too much into this yet. I mean, they, they just won a game last week with a backup quarterback. Like, you get a bad game or two, that's what happens to every NFL team. And I look around the NFL this week, it's kind of crazy. A lot of teams appeared to have, quote, a bad game this week. Now, number five, the Arizona Cardinals beat the 49ers 31 to 17 and they did it with a backup quarterback the Cardinals were missing a bunch of players on offense they were missing quarterback Kyler Murray running back Chase Edmonds two top receivers DeAndre Hopkins and AJ Green and yet Arizona won the Texas legend Colt McCoy pulled it together he won the game had basically a perfect backup quarterback performance he was 22 for 26 passing with 249 yards and one touchdown on top of that, James Conner had 21 carries for 96 yards and two touchdowns. This was a low point for the 49ers. They're 3-5. and five. Uh, They just lost to a backup quarterback. And this is year five as a head coach in San Francisco for Kyle Shanahan. 
he only has one winning season in five years, by the way. Now, that one winning season, they went to the Super Bowl and lost. So it's like they, they clearly are capable, and Shanahan's not an idiot, but he did lose his Robert Sala, his defensive coordinator. They are not as good on defense as they used to be. And during the bad years, like in fairness to Kyle Shanahan as well, uh, they often had injuries at quarterback. Like when you don't have a quarterback, it's hard to win games. We all know that. But still, I, I am looking kind of side at it, Kyle Shanahan. Like, is he going to make it? I, I just saw the other day, like some number where he's got the same uh, winning percentage as Chip Kelly in the NFL. And you're like, oh, he really has not won very much. So I'm worried. Like ownership may not be as forgiving. They may be tired of losing and may not be very forgiving of Kyle Shanahan, the head coach of the 49ers. And I think a lot of it depends on how confident they are that Trey Lance, the rookie quarterback for the 49ers is going to pan out. If Kyle Shanahan gets fired by the 49ers, suddenly I am very concerned about Trey Lance because Trey Lance was drafted by them, developed by them to have a coach who didn't draft Trey Lance come in. I don't feel the same way I do about Justin Fields. Like, Trey Lance was a bigger project, I thought. Now, had a ton of upside, but Trey Lance was a big project. They drafted Trey Lance number three overall because they loved what he's capable of, not where he is right now as a prospect. He played before he was ready, in my opinion, uh, this year. And, man, that'll be interesting. If if Kyle Shanahan gets fired, oh, boy. Imagine, I, I I don't think they would do that, but ownership is fickle. You never know. Now, Mitch wrote in on Patreon. As you can do, Mitch said, Hey, Zach, loving the show. Following up on my comment about Arizona just eating the loss to allow Murray to sit and get up to 100%. I was just wondering your thoughts. Does that make sense for a team to do in Arizona's position? I have really enjoyed watching your content. appreciate what you do. Much love from a Portland native. I grew up in Portland. I don't live there anymore. Uh, but if you like it, good for you. I, I certainly didn't like it uh, when I left. Um, first of all, Thanks for watching. You can listen to the show, by the way, on iTunes and SoundCloud. And uh, I don't actually think it's on SoundCloud anymore. Spotify. Like basically wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find this show. Now, not every team has the luxury of being 7-1 and one like the Arizona Cardinals had going into this game. They're 8-1 and one now. And I say the luxury because if you're 7-1, and one, you can potentially eat a game. Now, they didn't. Colt McCoy won them the game. And, uh, you know, they, now they're, they kind of got the best of both worlds. You know, they have Kyler Murray, who is now presumably fully healthy and they're still eight and one. They did. They won, you know, they won with a backup shout out to Colt McCoy. The hero like really deserves a lot of respect for what he did, but it's a good idea. Mitch, you're onto something there. If you can afford it, if you are a great team with a good record and you feel like you can afford to lose a game, I, I think it makes sense to, I would be willing to lose a game if it meant my quarterback was fully healthy the rest of the year. Like that's invaluable. To have a quarterback be at 100%, fully capable, able to run as much as he wants, able to run as well as he could. Um, I, I watched Matt Corral, the quarterback at Ole Miss, limp around all year, and it's like, oh, man, he's been hurt since for a long time. And Matt Corral is not fully healthy. And I don't know that a game off would help Matt Corral run, but, I mean, I, I watched they, they had uh, John Rice Plumley, the Ole Miss wide receiver, former quarterback, run the zone read a couple times because – they're like, Macrods can't run the zone read. We need to have literally someone who run the Wildcat almost to who can run the ball because Macrod can't run the level he used to be able to. So it makes sense to, to eat a game in the NFL where you got a ton of games. And if you have a good record, most teams, again, can't afford that, can't afford to lose a game or risk a game. But if you can, if you feel comfortable doing that, risking the potentially losing a game. But here's the thing. If your quarterback isn't fully healthy, aren't you kind of risking a loss as well? So it's 
I don't know, man. It's a good idea, Mitch, if you can afford to lose a game, to let your quarterback sit, maybe fully healthy the rest of the year. I think you're on to something there. It's not a terrible trade-off, Mitch. Okay, now let's go to some questions from the audience. It is time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. In case you do not know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do it literally helps pay my rent, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Now, if you do submit a question, I do not guarantee to read it on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs, uh, and I pick the top couple, read them on the show. I've been trying to integrate them throughout the entire podcast, and now also here at the end of the show in this segment. The only thing left this episode is we'll do a, a race review for the Mexico City Grand Prix at the end of this episode. Devin writes in first. He's a non-football question. I like it, though. He says, hey, Zach, I've got a question that might be a little touchy, and I apologize if you find it offensive. Not at all. That's not my intention. I know that, Devin. You're all good. He said, you mentioned how the loss of Zane was a big role player in where you are in life today. If he were still with us, how would your life be different? So, yeah, in 2016, uh, my younger brother took his life, uh, February 8, 2016. And I, I have no doubt I would be a totally different person. I uh, would not have a show, would not live in Hawaii, you wouldn't be a YouTuber, wouldn't make content. Uh, I would have finished college and had a normal job. Uh, I was the kind of guy who I did what you were told, and I followed the rules, and I got a normal job, and I, I was on that path in life, and I was going to marry someone who probably wasn't right for me. And um, That, my brother dying, was a big fork in the road for me. I, uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I owe, I, I've tried to use that moment, the worst thing that's ever happened in my life use it to make something positive happen which been, has been my entire career it's been my entire outlook on life i've got really no savings i i live kind of just i live enjoying experiences and i i need to start saving money to um buy a house someday i think it'd be really really cool but I, so far like i've i've been close to the margins and i've enjoyed myself and life is very short and i encourage everyone to live your life as if it is very short and i, I think at any moment uh it can be taken away from you and um, I, I just encourage everyone live your life with the understanding that life is very short and, and, and enjoy every moment of life fully because it, it is something that is precious and special. And, uh, I think a lot of people take life, like as silly as it is, they take life for granted. They don't enjoy their life. They don't live their life to the fullest. They don't watch that movie. They don't do that. They, they always think about what they want to do and they never do it. And so I encourage you. Go out there, live your life to the fullest, and I, I certainly do. And it's been um, a shift and a change for me that it's it's weird to call your brother um, taking his own life the best thing that ever happened to you. And, and it, certainly I wouldn't consider it that because I lost my brother that day. Horrible. Uh, but I've tried to use it that way. I've tried to use that loss to be a motivating factor and be a, a thing that changed my life forever so that I, I do now have the life I wanted. And I have no doubt, I have no doubt if my brother could see me today, he'd be very proud. And um, a little story I've never told, he was the one who wanted to do a podcast. <laughs> like I've, I've never said that. I don't think on this show. Um, my brother was the one who's like, we should do a podcast. And I, I don't listen to Kind of Funny anymore, but my brother uh, loved Kind of Funny, uh, and I, I listened to Kind of Funny. I, I actually left with Colin Moriarty when he—I I love Colin now. Colin Moriarty is my favorite podcast host in the world. 
uh, and I, I try to take a lot of what he does and, um, you know, like the same way you watch a great quarterback and go, how can I take what they do and use it to make my life and my career better? I look at what Colin does and I try to emulate the good things about his style. And, um, man, but my brother, my brother was a huge fan of Colin and my brother was the one who was like, you should listen to kind of funny. You should listen to what they do. And I never listened to that podcast. I didn't listen to any podcasts until my brother died that night. I finally looked up, um, I listened to PSI Love You XOXO, which is their former PlayStation podcast. Now it's morphed into, I think it's still PSI Love You, but I listened to Sacred Symbols. And uh, yeah, they got Austin Killian had a song on there called Electric 22. No, uh, Electric 22. Oh, that's not true. Austin Killian had a song, but he didn't write Electric 22. Another person wrote Electric 22. Anyway, uh, Austin Killian's a great musician who I, I he had another song I like from PSI Love You, but uh, Electric 22 played, and it was all about who do you want to be? a friend like and i'm like oh man this song really speaks to me and it was like it was who do you want to, in that moment that's exactly what i needed who do you want to be what kind of life do you want to live and my brother always wanted to do a podcast and i, I listened to podcasts and i fell in love and i'm like this medium is really cool i want to do this and here we are uh it's my full-time job it's my career and i owe all of that everything to uh my little brother zane so zane i miss you i, I will always miss you uh, and if you're struggling, go get help, man. Uh, I, I really want to get like, uh, a couple sponsors, like better help would be a cool sponsor of the show. But if you're struggling, go get help. I can't encourage you enough. And I miss my brother every day. Uh, Caleb writes in, he says, Hey Zach, in high school, I played at a small private school and I loved going to road games even more than playing at my school. It was fun being with your friends and leaving school early. Best part was eating as a team after a big game. Did you have a preference for home or road when you play quarterback, not based on performance, but enjoyment. Uh, yeah. Like I loved home games, period. It's just easier. This is something that's underrated about playing football games at home. It's not the crowd. I don't, the crowd in high school football is never really loud enough to influence you. Like you just yell louder. Like <laughs> they can hear you unless there's, I never played a football game in front of like 40,000 people in high school. So like it's, it was fine. Um, does anyone buy it? 20,000 is like the Mac Island, Texas, I think it's like 25, maybe. I don't know. Point is this. Uh, it was more convenient to play games at home. I mean, for the first two years of my high school football career, I played at a school, uh, David Douglas in Portland, where I literally shared a fence with the high school. So, I mean, I, I one time I, I cheated on my writing test because I, I went to the bathroom and I, I, I went and I, what, what happened? You're not supposed to take your state writing test home. But I did, and I, I, I took it home and wrote, did all the whole test, and then I, at, during the test the next day, because it was a multi-day test, I, I went to the bathroom, went to my house, which is literally sharing a fence of the school, went back to class, pulled it out of my backpack, and finished, quote, the test. I mean, I literally, it was crazy. Um, I loved being able to, like, we had a cool tunnel at David Douglas where you, uh, you walked out of the locker room. I loved it, man. And in my second high school, we had a really cool bowl stadium it's not about the crowd it's about the convenience of playing at home it's just easier college is college is even easier playing at home because you live your dorm is there and you just hang out and go outside and you're at the field and then you go play i mean i like home games in college are the best i didn't like like i, I played low level college football so you're like on the bus it's a pain it's a long trip and bus rides are not fun like at all i just don't Ugh, man plane rides we did one plane ride went to la we played gosh who was it i think pomona Something like that, but I don't know. I just can't encourage you enough to uh, 
enjoy those home games because they are so much more convenient than going on the road and you're like, did I forget something? If you did forget something, you go home, eat your wristband, whatever you need. Like, it's just better all around. Home games have always been my favorite. Uh, Ballin writes in, Ballin, Ballin, uh, probably Ballin, but I'm going to say Ballin because we're Ballin today. Uh, Ballin writes in and says, hey, Zach, first of all, how's the weather there in Hawaii? I live back in the Northwest in Oregon, and the rains have finally shown up for the winter, and it's gray and cold all the time now. I hope the bugs aren't giving you too much trouble there. Now we have little little ants, but it's fine. So second, there was a lot of talk during the Oregon-Washington game between RG3 and the other commentator about what song is the first one to come on your pump-up playlist before a game. I got to ask, what was yours from back in the days playing, and what is it now if you have one? Uh, back in the day, I went through a process. I used to listen to heavy pump-up music, and then I realized like I get better play out of myself when i listen to like i i learned like right at the end of my uh career that it's better for me when i listen to like classical music because my my head was more zen and as a quarterback you don't want to be ready to run through a brick building you want to be relaxed and calm and making good decisions so i had to listen to classical music uh the song i listen to now when i want to be motivated uh my song is money right m-u-n-n-y money right by john bellion it really motivates me it's a song about chasing dreams that or the la la land soundtrack uh as weird as that sounds those are two songs and two well soundtracks one whole thing but money right and the la la land soundtrack are two like pieces of music that uh really really motivate me today joshua writes in he says Hey, Zach, just heard your opinion on Halloween, and it got me thinking, what's your most favorite and least favorite holiday? And where does Christmas, if you celebrate that, fit in that list? I don't really like holidays, period, man. Uh, I know my fiance was joking to me about how I'm spoiled. Like, if you get a gift, you should appreciate it. I don't like presents, and I also don't like groups of people. I'm a really big introvert. I don't really want to go, like, uh, Christmas with, like, 30 people sounds horrible. I'm like, I don't. I don't like did anyone see what happened to the Travis Scott concert by the way that was horrifying and I'm like that that's confirmation of exactly why I hate big crowds of people don't like it now is that extreme to compare Christmas to the Travis Scott concert absolutely but yeah you need to come here for strong opinions I hate Christmas I don't like that I hate giving presents uh it's first of all presents are always disappointing for me like I, you never get something you really want you get a present where you're like oh like I that's not really what I want but I have to smile and pretend I like it uh, I have everything I want. I, you can't give me a good present. No offense, but unless you're buying me like uh, more money or a sick car or a house, I'm like I, I have everything I want. I'm good. Like I, I, I'm solid. I mean, I'd love a, I'd love to get a Vitamix. That'd be great. Like anyone, if anyone wants to buy me a Vitamix for Christmas, please let me know. I'd, I'd be happy to let you do that. But for the most part, I have everything I want. So then you get a present and you have to kind of pretend like you like it, and that's hard. I mean. I, I appreciate the thought, but I feel like people just don't know me very well. I feel like, honestly, you know who knows me best in the entire world? The people listen to this dang podcast because I share my heart every day. Like, you guys probably know me better than a lot of people in my own family who don't listen to the podcast, who don't actually know who I am as a person and my opinions and stuff. And I think that's a great achievement, by the way, to, like, I really share who I am as a person on the podcast. Like, I, a lot of people are like, oh, you're different in person. I, I'm, I'm basically who I am on the show in real life. I'm a curmudgeon. I'm a Grinch. Uh <laughs> Uh, I also, I, I wish like, if you don't have a great idea for a present, I wish society didn't make us force people to like, why do we have to give a present? If you've got a great idea, give that. Like the other last year, like I, if you have a genius, person, like this person's going to love that. Give them the present. Otherwise, can we not force, like we force it all the time with presents and it's, gosh, it really bothers me. Again, I'm a big introvert. I don't like people. 
it's hard for me. Like finding gifts is just a pain for me. Like I don't like shopping for gifts. And so, um, gifts all around from the receiving gifts to the buying gifts, it's a pain. And I think all the senders around the fact that I don't really like people. So ah, it's true. I wish it wasn't true, but it is true. I don't, I, I like to be, I live on an Island happily. I swim. I do a lot of stuff by myself. I talk about like, why do they think I do the show alone? Cause it's a lot harder to work with other people. That's true. Okay. Uh, Daniel writes in, he says, Mr. Schaumler, this has been a very confusing season. Who are your Super Bowl favorites at the halfway point of the year? Oh, I want to say something first but on the last question. I think my favorite, you know, Memorial Day always says great movies come out. Maybe that's my favorite holiday. Shout out to the veterans. You, you give respect to Memorial. Like, that's probably my favorite holiday. Okay, Daniel. Daniel Ritson says, Mr. Schaumler, this has been a very confusing year. Who are your Super Bowl favorites at the halfway point of the season? So my, I have 10 contenders, the Buffalo Bills, the Baltimore Ravens the LA Chargers, the Tennessee Titans, and the Patriots. I think the Patriots are a dark horse team that has a shot to win a Super Bowl. Uh, and the NFC, you have the Cardinals, the Packers, the Buccaneers, the Cowboys, and the Rams. One of those 10 teams, Bills, Ravens, Chargers, Titans, Patriots, Cardinals, Packers, Buccaneers, Cowboys, and Rams. One of those 10 teams will win a Super Bowl, in my opinion. That's a lot, I know, but those are my contenders. Now, I have five favorites. The Bills, I think they can beat anybody. I really like Josh Allen. He had a bad game, but Every team has a bad game. The Cardinals, the Rams, the Buccaneers, and the Tennessee Titans are a team that is, they went so far, what they did against the Rams showed me they can beat anybody. And I also think in January, they they hit you hard. They pound the rock. They play very physically. The Titans are a tough team to beat in the cold in January, especially if they're at home in Tennessee. So, uh, I, I have elevated the Titans so far. They are now a Super Bowl favorite in my mind. And I, I think Buccaneers Titans are probably my two teams that I'm like, I most support. I think the Cardinals are better than people realize. Uh, so I, I would go Buccaneers Cardinals Titans are my top three. And then Bills and Rams are my other favorites. And then I, I said my contenders already. Allie writes in says fact, there is a basketball court on top, on the top floor of the U S Supreme court building. The name of said court, the highest court in the land. I love that. Allie, well done. Uh, I always like Allie writes in with fun facts, and I think that's really fun and interesting. Allie, I missed you. It's been a while since you wrote in on the fun facts, so well done. Great job there. And only one, which you can write in more. I, I, again, Allie, Allie, I love your fun facts. They're always great. They're always fun. Please feel free to keep writing in with the fun facts. Uh, let's end the show this way with Formula One. We just had, we just had the Mexico City Grand Prix. It was a fun race. Max Verstappen won, and Lewis Hamilton got second. But the guy I want to talk about first in this segment is focusing on Sergio Perez, who got third. This weekend was such a fun opportunity to celebrate Sergio Perez racing in his home race, Mexico City, his home. I saw the promotions. It's fun. Like I've never seen a racer so prominently at the forefront of a race. Like saying, "Like welcome to my." I love that. That's fantastic. It's amazing. Uh, he's the first ever Mexican driver to get on the podium in Mexico. That's monumental for Sergio Perez. Like that's stuff you dream about as a kid, as you're a kid dreaming, like I want to race in Formula One and get a podium in Mexico. That's amazing for him. Well done, Sergio Perez. Fantastic. Especially, you got to remember, Sergio Perez was almost out of Formula One last year. His team replaced him with, you know, Aston Martin, changed the name of their team, and they replaced him with Sebastian Vettel. Sergio Perez almost was not even in 
Formula One this year. Now he's number four in the F1 standings. He just got another podium, and his team, Red Bull, is right at the top of F1. That's fantastic. How cool is it, by the way, to see Sergio driving in Mexico and actually be with a good team who had a shot, like a real shot to win the race? I mean, unlike Force India slash Racing Point in prior years, it's just cool to see Sergio Perez on a good team competing in his home race. Oh, man, what a cool opportunity to celebrate Sergio Perez this past weekend. Now, turn one of this race was wild uh, because, first of all, drama during qualifying meant, you know, Yuki Sonoda slowed down, Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. So what ended up happening was Max Verstappen started the race in third for this one. And it actually, in a weird way, really helped him because it gave him a slipstream behind Valtteri Botas. He was able to shoot forward and then uh, Botas was not very aggressive Breaking during turn when he, he braked really early, which left the door wide open for Max Verstappen to go around the outside and get into first place. And after from that moment on, Max Verstappen dominated this race and won easily. Really cool to see uh, as a person who I like someone challenging Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton's down a lot right now. And man, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see. Anyone can win still. Like maybe if Max Verstappen does not finish the next race and, and Lewis wins, we're right back to, you know, Lewis was on top, but um, I just, man, turn one did not go up for Botas. He, he did not break very well. Then he got hit by Daniel Ricciardo. It got ruled as a racing incident. Uh, so Valtteri Botas spun out, and then suddenly he went from first in the race. He started on top, you know, qualified first, was in, in the first spot, and then went to last. And, and Valtteri Botas's race was basically ruined from turn one of this race, which is crazy. Now, the race wasn't that eventful uh, other than... Sergio Perez, uh, he led for a lap, making him the first Mexican driver ever to lead a lap in Mexico. Very cool. And, and then at the end of the race, Sergio Perez was in third, chasing down Lewis Hamilton. And it was a chase, you know, the gap was getting closer and closer, more and more narrow. And uh, I mean, at one point, Sergio Perez was 0 0.8, 0.8 seconds behind Lewis Hamilton, who was in second. And you're like, I thought he was going to pass him. Uh, and for an instant, it looked like it. And then it didn't quite work out. So that was interesting and fun. I do want to give a shout-out to Fernando Alonso. Uh, when when Botas spun out, he was surrounded by smoke. And like, it's kind of like driving through fog. You can't really see what's in front of you. And Fernando Alonso, going full tilt, suddenly, bam, Valtteri Botas appears in front of him. You're like, oh, crap, and he had to swerve out of the way and barely missed him. And uh, really good driving by Fernando Alonso. Fernando Alonso, man, I, I would love to see him drive for a really good team because, dude, it's so clear that Fernando Alonso is one of the like, I think it's him, Lewis Hamilton, and Max Verstappen. It's the top three drivers right now in Formula One. Like, dude, oh, Fernando Alonso is so much, you know, he's overperforming so much beyond what the Alpine car is capable of. And he's a tough, tough dude to pass. I mean, oh my gosh, I just, I have so much respect for Fernando Alonso. So, uh, Max won. Lewis got second. Sergio Perez got third in the race. Ferrari got fifth and sixth. Charles Leclerc was fifth. Carlos Sainz was in sixth. McLaren got 10th and 12th. So the battle for third right now, McLaren versus Ferrari. McLaren, Lando Norris got 10th. Daniel Ricciardo got 12th. Uh, here are the driver standings after Mexico in Formula 1. Max Verstappen is in first with 312.5 points. Lewis Hamilton is in second with 293.5 points. Valtteri Botas still in third. He's got 185 points. And Sergio Perez is in fourth place with 165 points. Here are the constructors' standings. The battle between Mercedes and Red Bull is really, really heating up. Mercedes is in first with 
478.5 points. Red Bull's in second with 477.5 points. One point divide Mercedes and Red Bull right now. And oh my gosh, imagine if they won. And if Red Bull won and Max Verstappen won, like Mercedes' dominance would have been broken up by a year. It would have been incredible. So uh, will they, if that happens, it'd be incredible. So uh, I'm really, really fascinated in what will happen the rest of the year with Red Bull and Max Verstappen. Now, the battle for third, Ferrari has 268.5 points there in third right now. McLaren's in fourth, pushing for third. McLaren has 255 points. So 268.5 for Ferrari, 255 for McLaren. McLaren and Ferrari, they're battling. Ferrari got the best of them this past weekend in Mexico. And then in fifth place, Alpine is tied with Alpha Tauri uh, with 106 points. So interesting stuff there. I did not expect the battle for fifth to be as interesting as it will be between Alpine and Alpha Tauri the rest of the year. If I was a betting man, uh, look, uh, Pierre Gasly is great. Fernando Alonso, though, I, I, I have a hard time betting against Fernando Alonso. It'll be very interesting to see this Alpha Tauri or Alpine end up in fifth at the end of this year in Formula One. Uh, my final notes from this race. I had a thought this race. I mean, Valtteri Bottas gets spun out. Race comes to an end. I just maybe kind of realized how pumped I was to see George Russell drive for Mercedes next year. I just, nothing against Valtteri Bottas. I just realized, like, I'm so excited to watch George Russell in a really good Mercedes car and see what he's capable of. That'll be really, really fun. And then number two, I, I someday want to interview someone who worked on a pit crew in Formula One. Like, maybe someone retired who can really be honest and say whatever they want, but I have so many questions about how a pit crew prepares for pit stops and what does that look like? And I just, man, it's so interesting to me. The Mexico Grand Prix was really, really fun and Red Bull had two great stops. I just, I would love to talk to someone who worked on a pit crew someday, but that's all I have. Those are my thoughts on the Mexico City Grand Prix. It was fantastic. It was a fun race. And uh, I honestly, I, I want Lewis Hamilton to win the next one. I want to see Lewis Hamilton Continue to keep it interesting with Max Verstappen. Uh, I, I'm not going to lie. I'd love to see Max Verstappen win this year. I think it'd be cool to see Max uh, break up the monopoly that is <laughs> and the dominating force that is Mercedes. But I don't want it to be a blowout. I, I want Lewis to really challenge him. I want it to come down to the final race. And so I, I personally find myself rooting for Lewis Hamilton in the next race. Uh, I want that to be more interesting. I, I don't want Max Verstappen to run away with it easily. So um Despite rooting for Max long-term, I, I do want fun, interesting races. And so uh, I, I want Lewis to win the next one. Guys, that's all I have on the Mexico City Grand Prix. And that is all I have for this episode. I love you. I appreciate you. Uh, remember, you're all welcome. I love you all. I appreciate you. But um bum bam We are...